This is episode number 36 with former NFL referee and motivational speaker, Jim Tunney. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Talk about perspective and wisdom. There's no better place to get it than from Jim Tunney. Jim just recently turned 90 years old, but he is just as sharp as ever. Jim worked in the NFL for 31 years and was a referee for 25 of them. He calls some legendary games for some legendary coaches and players, and he talks about a ton of cool moments and memories from those. He talks about what Joe Montana said to Jerry Rice right after dropping a touchdown pass in his first game. He talks about the long-running joke that him and Don Shula have about a missed call that he had, and then so many more. In this interview, Jim talks about the power of believing in yourself. He talks about taking ownership and responsibility for your own mistakes. Jim gives us the secret to the sustained excellence throughout his career. A couple of things before we get into the episode. Are you looking for a healthy snack bar that you can take on the go during your busy lives? If so, I've got the perfect thing for you. During my life, I'm always on the go. I'm always going from gym to gym, from meeting to meeting. So I need something that I can take with me that I know is fueling my body in, in a healthy way and in the best way possible. And Grab the Gold is the perfect thing for me and it is for you. So if you go to shop.grabthegold.com and use the discount code CARRIERBESTYOU, you can get 20% off your first order. They have two amazing flavors, chocolate peanut butter and peanut butter and jelly. Guys, these are amazing. They're gluten-free, plant-based, 11 grams of protein, high in fiber. You've got to grab these Grab the Gold snack bars now. Again, shop.grabthegold.com. Use discount code CARRIERBESTYOU for 20% off your first order. And for those of you here in Nashville, I have an amazing live event coming up on Sunday, June 23rd at 10 a.m. at training camp. Guys, this is going to be a 45-minute workout led by myself and three-time MMA world champion Michael Chandler, followed by a 45-minute podcast interview with Michael. So you can be there. You're going to be able to interact with me and Michael during the interview, during the workout. It's going to be super high energy, super inspiring. You won't want to miss it. So go to nickcarrier.com slash events. Buy your $10 ticket today. Again, nickcarrier.com slash events. Buy your $10 ticket today, Sunday, June 23rd, 10 a.m. Do not miss out. This one is going to be powerful. Make sure you share it with your friends. nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And while you're listening to this episode, take a screenshot of it and post it on your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you and let me know your favorite part. Being 90 years old, Jim says that he's still trying to figure life out. He's always looking to learn and grow every single day and leave each day better than he found it. So now it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with the legendary NFL referee, Jim Tunney. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super excited today uh, with this interview that I have with the Dean of NFL Referees, Jim Tunney. Uh, Appreciate you joining me today, Jim. Nick, it's my pleasure. Thanks for being here. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. So to give everybody a little bit of context, you were an NFL referee for 31 years. You're the only referee to have worked uh, consecutive Super Bowls back-to-back, and you have a lot of other things, obviously, that have gone on in your life as well. You're a um, decorated motivational speaker. Um, you've worked in a lot of different schools as the head of the schools, principals, and all that good stuff, and countless of other things. So I'm excited to dive in to a lot of it, but especially some of the speaking stuff and especially some of your experiences as an NFL referee. So the way I want to start today is to give everybody a little bit of background of you and for myself is how did you get into being an NFL referee? I never thought I would do that, but my dad was a referee. And so I would go to games when I'm five and six years of age and sit on the bench with the players and all that. And I enjoyed that. But I never thought when I grew up and got out of college that I would do that. 
But when I was in college, why they needed intramural referees, they weren't paying anything. Well, I thought, oh, that's a good idea. I'll try that. And then when I started working uh, in the school system and they were playing high school officials, I was making $12.50 a game in those days. They're paying about $75 now. But so I, I loved it. I would work on maybe Thursday afternoon, uh, uh, Friday afternoon, Saturday night, whatever, make two or three games, make I made thirty-seven fifty a weekend. I thought, gee, that was really good money in those days. And it was a supplemental to my teaching, so it really worked out fine for me. Gotcha. So it sounds like your dad was a pretty big role model for you uh, growing up and stuff like that. Is that right? My dad was my hero, my my mentor, my role model. He uh, he he did a lot of great things. Died early, unfortunately, of a heart attack. But he was he, he was a very 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 inspirational for me. As was my mom. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and, but she raised four kids. And dad, was, besides being a teacher and a, and a coach, he was also a, a playground director. And he had, he had weekend. He was gone two or three jobs all the time. So my mom really raised us. And my dad was, uh, was my inspiration for doing all the things I did. Because I followed his footsteps in his high school teaching and coaching as well as uh, the uh, officiating Right. Yeah. So you followed right in his footsteps. Do you think, obviously he's taught you a ton of, he taught you a ton of things probably growing up, but is there any like maybe one or two lessons that you always kind of went back to that he taught you at an early age? He was never one say, this is lesson number one, follow this. He just, he did it by example. I remember sitting on the bench in the Rose Bowl one time and passing a junior college was playing and he came over and he said, now you watch this little kid. He's really good. It was Jackie Robinson. And I was sitting right next to Jackie Robinson. So lessons like that, being able to see great players in action and, and watch their their attitude as well as their physical abilities. Uh, he pointed a lot of things out like that to me. And when officiating, I would watch him, what he would do, and I would say, well, why did you do that or why did you do this? And he'd explain it to me. And those lessons stuck with me forever. Mm. Well, let's get right into it then. I wasn't going to go that early, but in terms of, you know, you, you've seen so many great athletes over the years perform at the highest level. What are some of the common traits that you see and then in terms of their attitude? Because that's what, you know, one of the things you just said. Um, what are some of the common things that some of the greatest athletes have in terms of having the right attitude towards the game? When I first started in 1960, Jim Brown was playing for the Cleveland Browns. And I watched Jim Brown. I was a field judge, so it means I'm downfield 25 yards. So I would see Jim Brown come through the line of scrimmage, knock down the linebacker, and then run towards me and towards the goal line. And the thing I noticed about him when he got tackled, he, he never complained. He was never a, a guy who was a, a trash talker or a complainer. And I like that about Jim Brown. I like that about a lot of athletes that I've seen. I, I work for people like Joe Montana and Steve Young and people like that and watch their performance on field in terms of who they were, not as a football player, but as an individual, as how their attitude was, how they worked with their teammates. Uh, I remember I worked a game one time with Jerry Rice when he first started in the NFL, his first game, and Joe threw a pass to him in the end zone, and he dropped the pass. First game in, in San Francisco's Candlestick Park, and Jerry Rice drops the ball, and we got back to huddle, Joe reached over and just patted him on the back and said, don't worry, you'll catch the next one, Jerry. So building people up like that, watching examples like that, 
really was an inspiration for me in terms of how I performed my life. These are top athletes and under a great pressure, and they're performing at a, at a high level of integrity. Yeah. So you had to perform under pressure throughout your career because you, you know, had some of these biggest games that you, that you called and you've seen so many other people, some of these athletes perform under pressure. What do you think are some of the key things to perform under pressure at a high level? I think one of the biggest thing is, is keeping a smile on your face and enjoying what you're doing. And I always had fun on the field. In fact, in the crew, and I was a referee, so that means I was in charge of the crew. I was the crew chief. And I would always say to the guys before we went on the field, we always got our hands together as a team, and I would say, let's have fun today. This is a game. We need to have fun. It's a, it's serious, and it's a business, and you, somebody's going to win or lose. Somebody's going to maybe lose their job. You don't want that to happen. But you can see the guys and their attitude of how they treat the players and how they deal with the players. Now, players and coaches are going to get upset with you with the calls that you make or maybe calls you don't make. Are they going to yell and scream at you and call your names and things like that? But we keep a smile on our face and say, deal with it properly. Deal with it. a lot of poise and a lot of confidence. And that was the thing that I enjoyed doing every Sunday afternoon. Mm. So how do, how do you deal with like so much of the negative? Because like as a referee, you probably get some like maybe praise from some people, but like a must, most of it is negative feedback and a lot of heckling. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Like internally when people just get on you like that? It's important that I have what I have is called personal power, not position power, not the fact that you're the referee and you're in charge and, and you better pay attention to me, but the fact that you deal with them face to face, eyeball, eyeball, I've gone over to coaches like a John Madden or Don Shula or Vince Lombardi or Tom Landry and just talk to them face-to-face as human beings, and they may be screaming and yelling at me. And finally, after a while, if they're not listening, I'll just say, that's enough, coach, and, and just walk away. But it's important that you deal with them face-to-face and listen to them. Don't, don't just ignore them, but listen to them. Listen to their complaint and explain what you're doing. And if they don't like it, well, that's too bad. But you, you do the best thing and you do the right thing every time. Mm. I really like that. I've never heard it phrased like that, personal power instead of positional power. I think that's really cool because I think probably, you know, maybe people and refer- who are referees, but then just people in regular everyday life, sometimes if they would take that more, that approach of personal power and just kind of realizing that the other person is just a human being, it kind of like humanizes them if they're somebody who, you know, if somebody's talking to a boss, if you think like personal power instead of positional power, you kind of talk to them um, in an instance on the same level and you might not be intimidated as much by them. And that's as a crew chief down in Seattle, I had to teach that and I did teach that to the other members of our crew. When I first started, there were only five officials on the field. Now there are seven, and when I finished, there were seven on the field. I would help uh, our rest of our crew understand that it's a, it's a personal power, and don't get too upset about it. One of the uh, fellows that I worked with for 11 years, a guy named Burl Toller. Burl was a very outstanding athlete at the University of San Francisco, and he was the first African-American official we had on the field. And he and I were in the same crew for 11 years. And in those days, in the, in the 60s, um, the, the black uh, officials were not uh, well recognized, and people would scream and call them names, and, and they would call them uh, racial names. 
And I went over and stood alongside of Burl when those names were being called and watching him. And he said, Burl, just keep your head up. Just keep your head up. It's okay. Shake it off. And Burl handled it so well. He just dealt with it. He had a good smile on his face and he was a, a jolly type of a guy. So he had that, that personal power too. And, and that's the thing that he learned and dealing with all of the racial epitaphs that he was, that they were yelling at him, but, but he handled it very well. And I, I was proud to have an opportunity to work with Burl for 11 years. We were together every weekend for 11 years and, and watch him develop and, and handle things like that. And that's happened to a lot of the crew. I was, I was fortunate enough to be a referee for 25 of those 31 years. So people, I, I could have a lot of people that, that came in our crew and, and went to another crew from there or something, but having an opportunity with them and help them learn that personal power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so you, you already touched on how, you know, that one experience when Joe Montana let Jerry Rice know, like, it's okay, you're going to catch the next one. You've talked about some of the relationships that you've had with different referees on your team and stuff like that. So team building is something that you talk a lot about and you've seen a lot. What is, what is one of the most important things in trying to build that strong team relationship with other individuals? That was very important for me. Uh, I, I do a lot of speaking for businesses and groups about building teams. And I, I have a, a, a bookmark that says, together, everyone accomplishes more. T-E-A-M, together, everyone accomplishes more. And I learned a long time ago because my father was my first mentor. I needed mentors. I, I'm not going to learn. I'm not smart enough to learn it all by myself. So I needed people to to do things that I respected. When I was a kid, even as a, I would watch teachers uh, and, and doing things in the classroom, do I like that or don't I like that? Is a good teacher or not a good teacher? And I kind of called out ways that I thought you, you should be able to teach. And I did the same thing with officiating. I had a lot of great mentors, officials who were names you've never heard of, who were mentors of mine. Well, I watched their performance and then asked them questions or just maybe learn from what I did. But watch their, how they, it's not about them. It's about bringing it together. Um, you know, I use the hand as a team expression. Your five fingers are very important to you. But when you bring them together, it's, it's a fist. And that fist is stronger than any one of those fingers. And so as a team, that's the way I, I would teach our crew that we're, we're together as a team. Never throw one of the officials under the bus. I, you know, don't ever. People are going to make mistakes. Yes, I've made a lot of them. Maybe and I learned a lot from that. So when people, when the kid make official make a mistake, I just say it's okay. Shake it off. You know, you'll get the next one right and go on from there. But it's important to build people up. I don't think you you help people be part of the team by tearing them down. You help people by building them up. And sure, sure, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to do different things and the wrong thing, but but they'll correct it. Nobody wants to do the wrong thing intentionally. They yeah. want to do the right thing, but it doesn't come out right that sometimes. So you got to help them learn from that. So build people's confidence is tearing people down. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Um, you talking about how you are constantly learning from people, trying to take in as much information because it's you're not going to be able to learn it all yourself, right? You got to have mentors. You got to have the people around you who have experienced things before you and be able to take knowledge from them and learn from their experiences. And kind of how I want to transition from there is 
you were an NFL referee, like I said, 25 of, the thir- of those 31 years. I'm sure the game evolved and changed a bunch um, over those years. So talk a little bit about the importance of continually learning and adapting to different situations that you're in. Uh, for, let's take let's take re- instant replay, for example. When I first started, we didn't have instant replay. In fact, in the 60s when I was officiating, uh, we didn't even have much film. We would see film maybe in the later. This, I think in 1967, we started looking at our own games on reel-to-reel film, how we could get better looking at ourselves. So every Saturday when we'd have our meeting before the Sunday game, we'd look at film and watch ourselves on film I say to people, uh, I would like to have a camera following around all day, watch what you do, and then your supervisor look at that film at the end of the day and criticize what you're what you've done or correct what you've done. And so, videotape was a very b- big thing in helping us. That's something we had to adjust to. When instant replay first came in, actually instant replay started in 1986, and and a lot of people were opposed to it. And I said, no, no, I think it's a good thing. I think we want to get the play right. We don't want to go home on Sunday afternoon and have the mistake that we made cost a player on a score or a game or something like that. So let's see his replay to see how we can get the play right. Now, I must say, in, in, from those years now, from 1986 to now, the replay has expanded tremendously. And it's maybe being overused a little bit now. As an official, those things happen to me all the time. They change rules from time to time. And as they change rules, some of them I didn't like. Uh, some of the, for example, I was, I was giving a rules talk to the Seattle Seahawks when they first started. Jack Pachera was the coach. And, and at one time, as, a, as, a, as an official, as a player, you had to put your arms against your shoulders and block with your shoulders. And Jack Pachera said, we can't block Lawrence Taylor like that. He's too strong. We've got to use our hands. We've got to be able to push. I said, Jack, that's foreign to football. You can't do that. Well, look at the players today. They push all the time. You've got to be able to do that. So as an official, you have to learn to adjust the way the game is played and the size of the players and the different players. The way they, they have adjusted themselves and the way they're playing the game now, you as an official have to adjust to it. You might not agree with all the rules, but you've got to adjust the rules the way they're they're written, and and that's our job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's really important to be able to adapt and be as flexible as you can to whatever it is, because it, you, like like you said, you don't have control over it. Um, so you, we've already mentioned a number of times how long your career was and how much sustained excellence and sustained success that you had. What do you think is kind of like the secret to? that your career longevity to having that sustained ex- excellence over so many years. I wrote a book first book I wrote was called impartial judgment, meaning I don't care who wins. And I wrote in that book, you're only as good as your next call. When I walk on the field on Sunday afternoon, people could care less how many Super Bowls I had, how many, how much reputation I had, how, what people thought of me in the past. You have to be good every Sunday afternoon. So you gear yourself to that and go into that game thinking, I'm going to do the right thing. I can't rely on my reputation. I can't rely on anything else but except of what I'm going to be able to do that Sunday afternoon with that player at that time. And you have to be sharp every minute. It's like any player or any coach. You've got to be the best you can all the time. You can't 
ease up and say, oh, well, I'll just coast through this game. You, you can't do that. As an official, you wouldn't last very long. So I use the expression, you're only good as your next call. So always look for something, how you can do something better. I would watch other officials and see the things they were doing and think, hmm, that guy's doing this. I like that. I'll do it. I can adjust to that. I can make my mechanics the, the way that person is doing it. And so it's it's good to watch other officials. And I, I carried that over, by the way, Nick, into the school business. When I, you know, on Sunday afternoon, I was on the football field. Monday through Friday, I was in the school business. I was a high school principal. And so I would carry that same teamwork thing to our teachers of how we can be better together as a teacher. And so and the principalships that I had, I really enjoyed being a principal because I was in working with maybe uh, 150 teachers. Uh, every every week, and, and how they can help each other. So it was important for me to to, uh, to to utilize the things that I would learn in football for my school business, or in my school business. Uh, for example, when I was a high school principal, a place called Fairfax High School in West Hollywood, uh, I was assigned there from an East LA school, and I was a have an athletic background. But they were a very academic school. And I wasn't coming from an academic background, much as I'm coming from an athletic background. But I worked with each one of them. I, I, they weren't always on my side. So how do I get people on my side? I imagine it as a, as a merry-go-round. You go around the merry-go-round, you reach out and you grab that gold ring. Well, every time so I'd, I'd grab this teacher and that teacher were, would be on my side and this one and that one. And again, building a team was what it's all about. So the thing on Sunday afternoon helped me in my school business Monday through Friday. The things on Monday through Friday helped me in my school, helped me on refereeing. So it was, it was a good combination. And a lot of our officials have been teachers and, and principals and people like that, uh, not so many businessmen. It's more businessmen now, but at one time it was just most, mostly teachers that really helped me compare the two jobs. Yeah, I like that a lot. To go back um, on what you were talking about in terms of like your sustained excellence, it sounded like to me what I was hearing was not necessarily you can't be complacent with the success that you've had in the past. You have to always realize it's a new day and that you've got to make sure that you perform today to the best of your ability and not let yourself be complacent with what you've done in the past. Exactly. What have you done for me today? And that's all I think. How, how can I be better today than I was? In fact, when I walked off the field, I worked over – 500 NFL games. And I can remember every time I walked off the field, I said to myself, did I leave this game better than I found it? And so it helped me in the school business too. When I would go home at night from the school business, did I do the best job I can for the students and the teachers? Did I leave that school better than I found it when I walked in in the morning? So that was always my goal. How do you get better at what you do? And just keep improving. And don't let it drive you crazy. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. it, it it's school, school ought to be fun. In fact, I, I wrote a speech one time called Every Kid a Winner. If, I, if we could have a school where every kid got all A's, that would be great, every one of them, because that's what they want to do. The kid doesn't want to get a, a D or an F. He wants to get a, an A. So how can we get that kid? When the kid didn't get an A, I thought to myself, what can I have done better to make sure that that person get the best grade they possibly can get. Mm, I like that. I like that. I'm very always interested in learning about leadership, and I know you 
know a lot about leadership, talked a lot about leadership. Um, you were a leader in the school and on the field, um, and you're around a bunch of leaders. So how do you, as a leader, enroll other people like in your vision or in your goals? Because like as a team, you know, might maybe some people don't always agree with like the quarterback and the game plan that they have. You know, as a high school principal, maybe all the teachers don't agree. Like you said, they're not always on your side. Um, how as a leader do you, in a sense, enroll people in your vision and kind of get them behind you? When I saw that a teacher or a official on the field needed help or wasn't, wasn't getting, being successful in what he or she did, I would go to him and say, how can we do this better? It was always a we approach. How can we do this better? What can I do to help you become better? Wouldn't you like to do this a little better? If you'd like to do it better, if you don't have the answer, maybe the two of us, between you and me, we could figure out an answer for you to do this better. So it was important that we did it together and, and make them feel that, hey, I made that mistake too, and we can learn from this. If you can learn from your mistakes, you're going to be a lot better. People sometimes don't learn from their mistakes, and they just keep digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper, and they, they never can find a shovel long enough to dig that hole deeper. And you want to bring them out of that hole. You want to make them feel that they're, they're powerful and successful. And you do that, as a sign beside, behind you says, the best you. How can we get the best you out of everybody? So it's kind of about asking other people what they like, what kind of their goals are, and helping them get to there, or it, you know, what, just having the conversation about how they can be better and trying to assist them in that process. As a speaker, and I've given probably oh four thousand speeches to businesses and groups and teachers and things. It's not about me. It's about them. What do they want to learn? What What is it that they're interested in? So every time I have an opportunity to speak, I create a, a questionnaire that I ask the um, person leading the group to find out, ask these questions. What are your goals today? What What can I help you do with your objectives? Uh, and, and find out about them. And then create, from my experiences and my material, create a, a talk or a presentation that helps them. It's not about promoting me. It's about what can I, how can I use my experiences and my background to help them become better at what to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, like you just said, you've given over probably 4,000 speeches to businesses and corporations and things of that nature. Is there like a common thing that a lot of those people who were leading these groups said that they needed? Like, is there a common thing that they like, we want you to speak about this or we have questions about this, we need help with this? It's amazing the number of groups that I've spoken for, and they're not athletic groups. They're all business groups and teacher groups. They always use football expressions like goal to go and first and ten and, and how do we do things better. And they're always interested in being better at what they do. So I've come from a background where being better at what you do makes you get to the Super Bowl. So how do you get to the Super Bowl? Well, you know, there's, there's 32 teams and only two of them are going to play in the Super Bowl. So how do you get so I wrote a book one time called It's the Will, Not the Skill. It's your will, not your skill. The skill is important. But all 32 teams and 53 players on every team, they all have the skill, or they wouldn't be in the NFL. But only two of those teams are going to make it. What's the difference? The difference is they have the will to do it better. So it's, it's the will to win, it's the will to be achieved, it's the will to do something better. How how can I 
Not be satisfied with what I'm doing, but always learning about doing something better. That's that's what the will is all about. Mm. So it was was a lot of your talks about trying to figure out for these companies and these businesses and everybody involved with it about how they can kind of increase their level of will. Exactly, if they will tell me what they're interested in and what they how they want to and what they want to achieve, I can help them understand how to do it. If they they don't need me if they know how to do it. If they know how to do it and can do it and be successful, or if you're successful, how do you maintain that? How do you win the Super Bowl one year and then come into the next year and you want to win it again? You got to win it two years in a row. That's hard to do because everybody else wants to do the same thing that you've been doing, so they're all doing the same thing. So how, it's the difference of the of that middle little difference between the really strong will and those who are just half-hearted about it. The same thing happens in the business world. Business is, business is very competitive. So if you want to be better at what you do, you want to be better than the next guy, you've got to do it just a little bit better every time. Mm. I like that a lot. So um, I'm really into habits myself and like specific things that people do on a daily or weekly or monthly basis, depending on whatever it is for that individual. Did you have any specific habits that you would maybe do prior to a game or prior to anything that was a big moment or prior to speaking or anything like that, or maybe just on a daily basis, any most important habits that you had? It may sound simple in explaining this, but there's a admiral named Admiral Bill McRaven, and he was the lead commander on the capture and the killing of Osama bin Laden. And he gave a speech one time, when you wake up in the morning, make your bed in the morning. Do the first thing right, because when you come home that night, you're getting into a bed that's made, a bed that you made. You did something right, so do the little thing right. You can't do the big thing right if you don't do the little thing right. So pay attention to detail and do the little thing right, just in terms of maybe brushing your teeth in the morning or getting yourself ready. Don't do it haphazardly. Do it the best you can do. This little thing doesn't take, doesn't take a lot of effort. Just do it right. So he said, make your bed in the morning and, and you start your day right and, then, and the rest of things will go right. And then everything I, I had to do in terms of uh, being a principal and adjusting to football and, and I would I'd be at the school on Friday night and Saturday morning I'd get on an airplane and fly across the country to referee a game. I'd have everything in order that I knew I had. To, and maybe it's a little bit uh, uh, too compulsive, but I need to do it right every time. So I do the same thing every time. And, and that really helped me in terms of my my football thing as well as being a teacher. Mm, I like it. Pay attention to those details. I like it a lot. Um, do, throughout your entire career, there you know, there's moments that were probably highlights and moments that maybe weren't as big a highlights. Did you ever have anything that you, a moment, a call, or anything that you regretted throughout your uh, referee tenure? Every day, <laughs> every day, something you never know. That you, you might you may get everything right, but you go back and you look at the film of a game or something, or you go back and you think about what you did at school the the last day or the next day, and you think I got to do that better. And and, and see, don't beat yourself up, but but think about how you can do it better, and get back and relax and have confidence in yourself. In the first book I wrote called Imports Your Judgment, I dedicated it to my father, who had been 
who passed away some years before, but I thought because my father taught me to believe in yourself. When you see signs in the different stadiums now, we believe, we believe, 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 believe. And it, it's, a, it's a very simple word, but it's a very important word. Believe in yourself. When you have a failure, it's not a failure. It's just a setback. You're not, you're not dead. You just have a, a, a setback. How do you improve on a setback? If you want to. Now, if you don't want to, that's, that's okay too. That's up to you. But, but you're not going to get any place in life if you, if you, if you don't care about your mistakes. Learn from your mistakes and move on from there. Know the mistakes are going to happen. No mistakes are part of the, a part of the learning process. So if you make a mistake, it's okay. Move on from there. I think that's important that you noted that, you know, maybe I, th- I regret things, but I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm just going to realize it's part of the process and I'm just going to keep moving forward because I think that is one of the biggest things that a lot of people struggle with is they have a failure, they make a mistake, and then they just sit there and dwell on it. And the recovery time takes that much longer because they're just, people just stick on the thing that they screwed up on. I like the way you said that. That's good. Exactly the way you said that. That's exactly what you need to do. You don't, don't dwell on a mistake. Move on. It's, it's over. It's done. You can't correct it. Um, and there are, I, I use the expression, there are two important days in your life. The day you're born and the, the day you discover why. Why were you born? Why was I here? Why am I here? What, what am I going to do? What can I do? For me and for other people, and for other people is a, a very important thing. When you when you're down and, and things aren't going well, if you get up and do something for somebody else, forget about your problem. Just go do something for somebody else. You'll find how 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 good it makes you feel. You know, it just uh, little things in life. If you help the little old lady across the street, or or help somebody with a Somebody dropped a, a bag of groceries or something, and you help and saw them pick up. Just little things like that. They reinforce the fact that you have a purpose in this life and, and do what you think is right, and, and you, you'll, you'll end up doing the right thing more and more. But helping other people is very important in terms of overcoming any setback you may have. Mm, I like that. So we just talked about you know the negative things possibly in your career. Was there any particular maybe one particular game or one particular highlight of career of your career that might have been the biggest highlight or the, your favorite game oh sure yeah there are there are several things uh, i worked a game between green bay and baltimore colts in green bay one time and i was a field judge under the goal post and the kicker kicked a field goal and it was snowing and blue wind was blowing in green bay wisconsin in december as it usually does and the ball was way above the crossbar, way above the post. And I had to call it good or bad, and I called it good. And Don Shula, to this day, won't forgive me for the fact that I missed the call. And <laughs> you, you had that good laugh about it over the time. I said, hey, coach, you won 347 games. You won, so win another one. You're not going to break anybody's record. You got the record. And so we laughed about that over the years. So it was a mistake at the time. It was really important for the game. But as we went along, it became less important. And look at it that way. It's life that's going to happen. You make mistakes are going to happen. And I, I made, made more than one mistake. In fact, there was a game that I worked between Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Cowboys in Texas Stadium. And Roger Stombuck was rolling out and and. He fell to the ground, and I thought he was down, so I blew my whistle. But he had fumbled the ball, and I couldn't see it. 
And the Philadelphia Eagle player, Bill Bradley, picked up and ran the end zone. And I had to take the touchdown away from him. It was a very important time in the game. And I was the coach from Philadelphia Eagles at the time, a guy named Ed Kayak. And I walked over to Ed and I looked him right in the face, just like I'm looking right at you in the face. And I said, Ed, I kicked it. I was wrong. I blew it. I'm sorry. I can't take it away from you. I, I, I'm, I've got to take the score away. I can't correct the mistake I made. He told me some years later, he said, you know that mistake you made in Dallas and Philadelphia? I said, yeah. He said, when you said you made a mistake, you disarmed me. I couldn't argue with you. I thought, well, you know, that's the right thing to do. If I made a mistake, admit the mistake. Instead of trying to cover and say, well, see, I couldn't see this coach. I blew the whistle. No, don't alibi. Don't make mistakes. Don't try to make it worse. Just say, hey, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And move on. But that goes back to the belief that you're going to have in yourself. You're going to believe that you're a good official. You're going to believe that you're a good teacher. You're going to believe that you're a good principal. If you don't believe that, then when you have a mistake happen, you're trying to make excuses for why it went wrong. Don't worry about it. It happens to everybody. I like that a lot. So it's really about taking ownership and responsibility for your mistakes. And one of the lessons that I've that I've learned recently from somebody that I've actually had on the show was that confidence is born out of, or humility is born out of confidence. And that was what I first thought of when you said it is like being able to own your mistakes and admit that to somebody takes a whole lot of confidence and takes that belief in yourself. And so for me, that all tied together when you were just saying that. That's it. That's exactly it. Have confidence in yourself and know the mistakes are going to happen and you're going to be part of them. Yeah. So, so, You've had all these experiences. Um, you've done a lot of different things. If somebody were to ask you about maybe a three keys to a successful life or the three most important lessons that you had to teach somebody or that you, that you have learned throughout your life, what are those maybe three keys to a successful life or three lessons that you feel are the most important things that you've learned? I think that we were talking about before, but let me just summarize it that way and say, first of all, believe in yourself. Believe that you can do the right thing and and then do the right thing. Hold yourself to a high level of integrity. Don't try to alibi out, out of things and, and 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 get around things by, by lying or doing other things. Just be honest with yourself. So believe in yourself, have a high level of integrity, and then enjoy it. Life is to enjoy. It's not. A, it's not here as a trial of, of everything. To just enjoy what you do. You're going to have those trials, but if you can have those trials, then you're going to enjoy the fact that you're having those trials. So believe in yourself. Have a high sense of integrity, and then and then I think enjoy it. But I, I think part of that part of enjoy it too is having a faith, having a faith of some kind of belief in a higher power. And I don't want to get into all the. The, the things that way, but but it's important that you have, it gives you a purpose for life and a reason for living. Why are you here? And, uh, and I'm here for a reason, and that's the reason that I'm going to do the best that I can. Mm. I like it. So you're, I'm sure you're around a decent amount of, when you're speaking to these businesses and stuff, you're around some younger individuals who are early on in their career, and you know you were early on um, in your career in, in, in the NFL. Um, and you're probably around teachers who are early on in their career. If you, if somebody had the chance to sit down with you, 
who is maybe in their early 20s, mid 20s, or maybe even early 30s. And after one of your talks, let's say, and they had two minutes to say, and they asked you, Jim, I want to start being more successful in my career. I want to become a leader in the company. I want to become a leader at this school. I want to be one of the top teachers. I want to become principal, all these things. What can I start doing now in order to increase the likelihood of my future future success? What are maybe two things that you would tell them? Isn't that what you and I are doing right now? A little bit. I don't think so. Yeah. So I, I would say it, it's just reiterating what I said. It's that belief in yourself. And and that, that really comes, as they say, having a high level of integrity. Just do the right thing. And do the right thing every time. I, I, I'm very disappointed in what's going on in our government and people who are lying and going to they lie before Congress, they lie before the FBI, they're going to jail. I thought these were were people I would look up to. These are supposed to be my leaders and, and they're and they're lying to these things. Don't do that. Don't, don't just just be honest in what you do. And and maybe they've done some wrong thing, but as I say when I made that mistake in the football field, I mean I just said I I, I blew it. I was wrong, okay. And the coach said, Hey, we all make mistakes, forget about it, it's okay. You have the high sense of integrity, and again, as I mentioned, that that uh, that faith that this is what you're here for, and, and you're going to make a mistake, but move on. Be ready to move on, and and I think part of that has to do with forgiving. I think forgiving is a there's a book out by a friend of mine. It's called Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, they're going to happen, and they're going to happen to good people, <coughs> and when they do. You just say, that's the way it is. I'm going to move on. I'm going to do better. I'm going to learn from it. Learn from your mistakes. So those kind of things, the things that my dad taught me and, and that I, I try to teach my kids and, and work with the, the officials that I do and work with the teachers that I have over the years. So, uh, you know, you've talked a lot about believing in yourself and um, – being able to not beat yourself up when you make mistakes. Forgive me if I if I if I say this wrong, but I think at the end of your voicemail message, do you say and remember, be easy on yourself? Yes. Well, no, I say be good to yourself. Be good to yourself. That's be what it is. Be good to yourself. Be good to yourself. I've always said that. Just to, if you're good to yourself, then you're gonna be good to other people. And if you if you beat yourself up, then you're gonna beat other people up. One of the things that you need to teach if you are in a business, you teach the people who deal with the customers. Treat your employees right. Treat them as they're very, very important to you and they're important people because then they're going to treat the customers right. If you beat up your employees, they're going to beat up their customers because that's what they've learned. That's their conditioning. And it's just like Pavlov and the dog. You've learned their response. If you beat them up for mistakes that they make, when a customer has a problem, they're going to beat the customer up. You want your customer to be good, treat your employees right. Mm. So another thing that had we had brought up at, in our phone conversation prior to this, um, it was a number of weeks back now, was I was saying how I'm just trying to figure things out in my life. And, and that's how a lot of people who are listening to my podcast, just trying to figure life out. And then you mentioned, I'm still trying to figure life out. Um, Absolutely. So I, I will, I'm slowly trying to figure things out better. That's awesome. That's awesome. That that kind of will lead into 
um, my last question here. But before the last question, Jim, uh, I first want to appreciate you coming on today. Um, and I want to acknowledge you for your humility that you've been able to have throughout your life and throughout your career to admit your mistakes um, and to take ownership of those things and to never be complacent with things that you've done in the past, to always wanting to be better today than you were yesterday and always wanting to leave the games better than you found them. So I think that's really cool. And that's really the key to your sustained excellence throughout your career. You summarized it very well, well Nick. I, I, I appreciate what you're thinking about. You know, you and I are a different age group. I mean, you're in the millennial group and I'm in the, uh, you know, I was, I, was, I was 90 a month ago, so I, I'm still trying to figure things out and get things right and do things better, and I always will. It's, it's just the way I was, I was born, and that's the way I believe, and, and if I can teach that to other people, i got to practice that myself. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very admirable, admirable quality, that's for sure. Um, so that leads into my last question. I always ask people the same question because I feel that becoming the best version of yourself is a constant journey, and like we already talked about, I think we're always – chasing down that best version of ourselves. We're always trying to be better tomorrow than we were today. Um, and that's, you know, what you've talked about. You've always trying to learn. You're always trying to bring mentors around you that can teach you things that you couldn't teach yourself. So what I want to ask for you personally is if you could currently work on or do three things to get closer to the best version of yourself, what are those three things that you could currently do or three things you could currently work on? I think if I could read more of things, that uh, reading is very, very important to me. And I do read every day. I do writing every day. So I want to write better. I write a weekly blog. I have a thing called On the Tunny Side of Sports. It's on email, and people can get it. It's free. But I write about issues. I wrote about Tiger Woods this week and, and how he overcame. And, and let me use that as an example. Tiger came onto the scene of, a, of being a golfer. Uh, very brash and very arrogant and I'm going to kick your butt type of an attitude. He's not that way anymore. He's gone through personal and and physical transgressions that have made him and what he said this time when he won the Masters in in April he said, if it wasn't for my family being here and my son Charlie and my daughter Sam and the support they've given me, I've never made it. That's That's a very humility type of, uh, of expression from, from a guy like Tiger who looked like he had the world together. He has all the money he'll ever need, but but he the money didn't save him. And now he's become a really more humane person. And I think that that family thing is very, very important. So I would think of in my time, I want to do more for my family than I can do possibly in the next few years. I don't know how many more years I'll be alive, but I want to do something every day. I talk to some, I've got four children, and Linda and I have nine grandchildren. We like to do something for them all the time. So I talk to somebody like that every day. My mom and my dad have passed away, but my, my sisters and my brother are still here, so I can talk to them. Those kind of connections are very, very important people. And I encourage people to make, continue to make connections because as you get to be at my age at 90, there's not a lot of your friends that are still here. <laughs> You're outliving them all. That's the good news. The bad news is you don't have anybody to talk to anymore. So keep connection with your family and your friends. And it keeps you into their lives and, and see what you can do for them. And that's a goal that I have for my life now. Mm. Well, Jim, I know everybody's going to really enjoy this episode. Where can uh, people find more about, you know, you've talked about a couple of books. It's The Will, Not the Skill, Impartial Judgment, and all that good stuff. You've got your website, right? JimTunney.com? 
Yes, and and uh, uh, email is Jim at jimtunney.com, and they can email me, and the, a weekly blog is called on the com, and they can get that. And I wrote about Tiger last week. This week coming up, I'm writing about the Kentucky Derby and the, the problem we had with the Kentucky Derby and the concerns that are happening. So there's always something current that I'm writing about, and it's something that people can learn from. And, and I'm learning as I'm writing, and so they learn from that too. Well, that's really cool. I appreciate your time today, Jim. Nick, my pleasure. It's great to see you. and great to uh, I like your attitude. I like what you're doing, and, and I like the fact that you're always out there learning and doing leaving the leaving this podcast better than you found it. I like that. <laughs> there you go. Good to see you. Thanks, Nick. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it with one friend or family member. Just take the link from the podcast or text them, hey, check this out, nickcarrier.com slash podcast, and it'll take them right to the episode. We want to spread this message. If you know someone who's having a tough time believing in themselves, send them this episode. If you know someone who is beating themselves up for a mistake that they've made, this episode is going to be perfect for them. And all you've got to do is copy and paste the link. Also, go check out Jim's book, Impartial Judgment and It's the Will, Not the Skill, at jimtunney.com. And check out his blog called The Tunney Side of Sports, where he posts weekly articles about current events. And remember, guys, go to shop.grabthegold.com. Use discount code CARRIERBESTYOU for 20% off your first order. These are amazing snack bars that you can take on the go, and you can trust the ingredients. Chocolate peanut butter, peanut butter, and jelly are their two flavors. They're gluten-free, plant-based, 11 grams of protein, high in fiber. These things are amazing. And for those of you in Nashville, do not miss out on this live event. This is the kind of event that you've never seen before. 45-minute workout, 45-minute podcast interview, three-time MMA world champion Michael Chandler. Get your ticket today at nickcarrier.com slash events, $10 ticket, nickcarrier.com slash events on Sunday, June 23rd, 10 a.m. at training camp. I'll see you there. Remember, we need to believe in ourselves in order to overcome the hurdles that we face in our lives. Don't let yesterday's success get in the way of today's success. Don't get complacent because you were made for more. You were put on this earth for a unique purpose, so go out and get it done. Leave each game you take part in better than you found it. For now, it's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you.